Hello, hello, hello. How are we doing this evening, this morning, this afternoon? I hope you're doing good. You know, I want to talk to you guys about something um, that is really hard to wrestle with um, as a human being, as, you know, maybe someone who truly believes in you know, you see something and that's that's what makes you believe it's real. You know, you see water, so you know water is real. Um, you feel water, you feel the air. You don't see the air, but you feel it, so you know that it's real. And so when you start talking about the concept of faith, it, it's challenging because it goes against what is natural to you. It goes against what is um, logical to you. It actually removes your senses. It removes what you can sense, you know, smell, touch, taste, feel, whatever else. And it goes beyond what you can even think or comprehend. And it and it kind of defies gravity, so to speak. It does the opposite of what you think. And so it's hard to wrestle with that. But yet faith is the very thing that God requires it's the very thing that is pleasing to him. It's the very thing um, that can be counted onto you for righteousness. It's the very thing that he asks of us in return for his free gift that he gives um, of redeeming us, of saving us from sin and saving us from uh, uh, an eternal you know, place that is horrible, that nobody wants to be in, that no soul would ever want to stay in, in hell. And so God requires faith. He requires going beyond what we understand, what we know, and what we feel. And we, as people, we don't like that. You know what I mean? Like if you are driving a car and you know the destination, the back of your head, like you know how to get to this particular house, you know how to get to this particular spot. You know how to get there. And I'm in the car with you. I'm in the passenger car with you. And I'm like, yo, I need you to take a right. But you're like, what the heck? Like, no, I know that you got to keep going straight. You keep going straight for a bit. And then you go about the roundabout. And then you, you know, merge onto the highway. But I just keep telling you every single time we pass an intersection, yo, turn right, turn right. And you're like, no, like I know where it is. What are you talking about? And yet... What you don't know is that by turning right, there's actually a shortcut that you didn't really know about. Or by turning right, it is a longer way, but somehow you still get there faster. Bizarre, right? Like logically, it makes sense on the GPS to keep going straight, go in the roundabout, and you get there in 15 minutes. But by me telling you to go right on this major intersection, it should actually take 30 to 25 minutes but it actually takes eight minutes. How's that possible? It's faith. It's something that you cannot comprehend. And this is the thing, you're not supposed to comprehend it. Like faith is not, a requirement of faith is not your understanding. Faith is actually a, a letting go of your understanding, of, of not leaning on your own understanding and of trusting another. It, it, it really is this idea of trust. It's this idea of, hey, I don't even know how this makes sense. I don't even know how this is going to happen. I don't even see what it is that you're talking about, but I trust you. Now, faith is not a very unique concept to our everyday lives. It's not. Like, I know under the umbrella of, uh, you know, faith or in terms of a, a faith practice, 
faith is seen in, in a very miraculous, majestic way. But in the same way that a basketball player, when he's playing and, you know, five seconds to, to go before the round ends, um, he takes a shot. He or she takes a shot from the three-point line, doesn't know if the ball's going in. He might have or she might have practiced that jump so many times. And guess what? Sometimes they shoot and they miss or they hit the rim or something weird happens. And they're like, man, I always hit it this particular way with my shoulder and my hand. But, you know, you shoot and you don't even know if it's going in. But you have faith that this shot will go in. If you didn't have faith, you wouldn't take the shot, right? And I know that that's maybe a smaller example of, you know, a larger conversation, but the idea of you trusting things that you cannot see, we do this on a daily basis. Now that might be a micro level, but the ideology and the practice is no different than prayer. Like I pray for something I can't see. I don't feel, I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to come to be, but I'm praying and I'm asking God um, to, to, to meet a particular need. It requires faith to pray, right? It requires faith to ask someone for something that you can't even see yet, that you don't even know how it's going to come to be or whatever it is. Faith is a big deal because it's a big deal to God. Now, on the topic of faith, we're going to focus on... Genesis. Now, in the previous podcast, I think it was called um, Comfortability, um, talking about this idea of comfortability and how sometimes change happens in our life, um, but comfortability prevents us from experiencing change because we want to stay in a place that, you know, is familiar to us. We don't want to go into a place that is unfamiliar to us, even though it might be beneficiary towards us, even though it might be the answer to the prayer. It might be the better situation for you, but because we like to know and be in control and have an awareness of a situation, we don't want to step out. We don't want to take that step and we'd rather remain in our past because it's comfortable, even if that place is a bad place, is a you know a toxic place or whatever it is. Sometimes uh, change is scary, right? But faith is required for change. There has to be a point where you have to let something go in order for something else to come in. And this is not you know a motivational talk. I'm just saying that um, we like to you know be comfortable. I want to focus on Genesis because there's so many good nuggets in Genesis. I actually, I don't know. I don't know if it's my favorite chapter, but I just feel like Genesis, it explains so much. You know, it highlights so much, so much. It showcases so much. It, um, it, 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 uh, you know, foreshadows so much. It's a beautiful illustration of of very real people that have very real lives. Um, but if we're going to look at faith, I think it's important to talk about someone who's referred to as the father of faith, um, someone in you know, Jewish culture that was considered to kind of be this um, kind of like a pioneer, you know, like a, like a, a leader, a, you know, yeah, a, a pioneer of faith. Um, Someone that God used in a very interesting and unique way to fulfill a a prophecy and a promise and a covenant that actually took place. 
And so when we look at someone like Abraham, there's parts of his life that we can see how faith is important. We can see how faith um, really spearheaded a lot of the different things that happened in his life. And as a result of that faith and as a result of that obedience and as a result of that um, commitment and that letting go, um, things started to happen. Things started to come to pass. And now, you know, when you read the Bible, it you have to understand that a lot of the times when something is said, a promise is said, it's actually not until many years later that you actually see the fruition of that promise. And so as we're looking at Abraham's life, it's important to understand that, you know, things didn't just happen right away. Things didn't just miraculously happen right away. There was time in between. And I, and I hope that that speaks maybe to you that, you know, maybe there's a promise in your life or there's something that you know and you believe um, that is coming your way, something that has been confirmed to you, something that you know, you believe God is able and capable to do, there is a such thing as his timing. Actually, not even there is a such thing. It is always his timing. It is always in his timing. And, and it might not happen right when you think, um, but when it happens, it will happen in the perfect way that, you know, God has ordained. And so um, looking at Abraham's life, let, let's just start from the top. All right. Who is Abraham? Where did he come from? So we know that he's in this city, he's in this 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 place, that he's in this land, um, and he he's he has you know uh, some sort of siblings as well, and because he has a, a nephew, and you know he has some sort of um, you know some kind of familiarity with this place. Like this is a place that that he that he has spent a majority of his life. Okay. Um, and let's say that this land is like his country, is, is, is the place he knows, you know what I'm saying? Like in the same way in your city, you know where to go to get great shawarma, you know where to go to get discount on gas, you know where to go to, you know, maybe the shortcuts that people don't know on the highway. Anyways, you know your city, you know your place. And this man, he knew where he was. He knew the land that he was. He's familiar with this place. Now, what happens with Abraham is kind of drastic because um, he goes through um, these series of events in his life that require a faith that has nothing to do with logic, has nothing to do with what might make sense in his mind, that has nothing to do with what he could ever imagine for himself. It, it is a type of faith where you just simply say yes and see what God does. And so God has a conversation with Abraham. And I find that to be super beautiful because we see that in Genesis with Adam and Eve, God did actually talk and commune and fellowship with human beings. So we know that God is not just this figure in the sky that like doesn't talk to us or doesn't engage. In fact, since the creation in terms of human creation, God has been consistently communicating with us. God has been consistently showing up and revealing himself in different ways. Now, it might look a bit different in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament, but the God has not changed. It is the same God and the methods and the, and the, um, you know, very appearances might have changed, but the same power remains, the same glory, the same uh, sovereignty and Shekinah glory still 
remains. God is still sovereign. And so the God that is able to, you know, um, part the sea, the God that is able to cause fire to come down from heaven, the God that is able to cause a massive flood on the earth, the God that is able to save people from a famine, the God that is able to, you know, speak through people and, and have those spoken words actually come to pass, a God that is able to save a whole group of people, uh, the God that is able to move the motives and desires of high-positioned kings, um, the God that is able to challenge um, Pharaoh, a God that is able to, you know, speak to his people in particular ways. And so God shows up on the scene and he has this conversation with Abraham, right? And he says to him, Abraham, go away from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you abundantly. And I will make your name great, exalted, distinguished, and you will be a blessing, a source of good to others. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse the ones who curse you. And in you, all the families, nations of the earth will be blessed. So God appears to Abraham. Again, Abraham is in a state of familiarity. He's comfortable. He's he, he's in a place that he knows and he understands. Now, he's someone that believes in God. Um, there's some type of, you know, knowledge of God, but this is probably one of the first times that he has recognized God so clearly in a way where God has given him these instructions and he so clearly understands that this is from God. He doesn't think that this is from you know, some weird voice or what he understands this to be God. You have to dissect what it is that God is actually saying. He's saying to him, get up and go. Yeah, just leave what you know, leave who you know, leave what you're familiar with and go to this place. By the way, I'm not even telling you how to get there, how many steps you got to take. Uh, there's no Google Maps, Map Quest, nothing like that. You just got to get up and go and I'm going to show you. You just got to get up and go and I'm going to show you. And so what God is asking of Abraham is to leave what he knows, to leave everything that he knows, to go to a place that he has never seen before because he hasn't yet really traveled, to go somewhere that he he's not familiar with, to go somewhere that you know, in his mind, he's never even imagined um, and, and to trust that God is going to show up and do this miraculous thing, even though at this particular point in time, he himself never had children, you know? And, and so this idea, this idea of, you know, having a lineage and, you know, having nations and having generations after you, that comes through you having children, Right. And so God is promising him this huge, amazing, mega thing, but it's also asking Abraham to leave everything that he knows. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard God say, "Day, I want you to leave um, Canada and I want, you're going to go on a boat and I'm going to just show you 
where where I'm gonna just show you, you know, a, a new place, but I need you to go on this boat and leave Canada. You know, I don't know how many of us would just do that without having some questions or questioning that voice and being like, that can't be God, because that don't make no sense, right? That don't why would God be asking me to leave everything that I know to go somewhere that I don't even know and not even give me all the details? What is going on? This doesn't even sound like God, right? We would have some kind of a conversation. We would have some kind of dispute. And yet God is asking him to do the very thing that requires faith. And can I tell you something that it seems that the characteristic of faith, or should I say the symptoms of faith is actually peculiar and strange to your natural mind and your natural instinct. It's actually supposed to be strange. So instead of it being like, oh, this makes sense. Yes, I feel like this actually is right in reasoning and rationale within ourselves. Faith actually goes against what we think is actually normal or makes sense. It is actually supposed to feel a bit strange because God does things in a miraculous way. Remember that analogy I gave you at the beginning where you know, all right, if I take these steps, these many steps forward, I'm going to get to that one location in 15 minutes, but I keep telling you to go right, even though that's a longer route, somehow you end up there shorter. God does things in his own ways. And in his own ways, it goes beyond human comprehension. He does things in a way where he calls those things which are not as though they were. He's the God that is in the past yet in the present and can also know and see the future. So God doesn't operate necessarily on human time because he's beyond time. God operates on his principle and on his word. And so when he speaks his word, he actually watches over it to make sure that it comes to pass. So if he speaks something over Abraham, he's going to do it. Now, all eyes are on Abraham though, because God gives a promise, but we got to respond right? So how does Abraham respond? Now we're getting back to understanding who Abraham Abraham is, why he's called the father of faith, because he actually in obedience does exactly what God said. He pick up himself. He pick up a couple people. He pick up, you know, different things that he has and he starts wandering. He starts wandering for years. And I, need, I want you to also understand something. This land that God has promised Abraham, Abraham at some point in his journey actually passes through this very land that God is promising him. But it wasn't yet the right time. So he keeps wandering. So he passes. It's kind of like the best way I can describe it and just you know, go with go with me here for a moment is like, let's say there's a person that you know that you're going to marry um, and for whatever reason, you meet them at the gym, but you you didn't even know that that was the person you were going to marry. And then many years later, you meet that person again. And you're like, oh, whoa, like I actually met you before. So basically what I'm trying to say is the very land, um, Canaan, that God promised Abraham. Abraham actually passed through there. Um, but then he, he kept going and he kept wandering and all of these different things. And so um, you get to see this journey. And I want to break down the journey for you a little bit because there's things that happen in between what God has said, uh, Abraham's response and Abraham's wandering and um, the actual manifestation of you know, the promised land and him having all of these different descendants. And so the, the, the thing that we need to understand is that like Abraham wasn't like a young dude, 
right? And he was married to someone named Sarah, and Sarah also wasn't um, like a young girl. And so this idea of them having uh, a lineage was kind of bizarre because uh, Sarah was in an age where she wasn't necessarily able to, you know, conceive and and, and carry out a pregnancy. Um, And so that within itself didn't make any sense because it's like, how is this even going to happen? God said that he's going to give me this land. He's going to give me these descendants. And, you know, anybody that blesses them, God's going to bless. Anybody that curses them, God's going to curse. You know, out of me, there's going to be all these different families and nations. And he's going to make me a great name. How's this even going to happen? Like, we can't even physically conceive. And this is the thing. God is the God that calls those things which are not as though they were. He de- he flips the switch, my guy. Mary. Mary is a virgin. She conceives. Jesus is born of a woman who is a virgin. How does that make any sense? You know, there's so many things in your life that don't make sense, but it's actually God's hand. And so when the Bible says that God's ways are greater than our ways, his thoughts are so high from the heavens, you know, are are so high as the earth is from the heavens. It's like he has a greater perception. He has a greater insight. He has a greater knowledge. God is not confined to our understanding of who he is. I'm going to say God is not defined. His work and his power and his plans are not confined to our understanding of our environment. We as a you know, people, we understand, for example, gravity. For example, we understand um, ecology. We, we, we understand, you know, biology. We, we, we understand these different things. But God is able to go beyond the confines of the physical realm and do things in the supernatural realm that don't actually make sense. What are you talking about? I'm old. My wife is old. And yet we're going to conceive? Yep. God says, yep. God even shows up, you know, as as Abraham and Sarah and the different people with them are kind of wandering. There's there's a point where the Bible says that, you know, um, God actually shows up to Abraham again and, and says, hey, you know, this is in Genesis chapter 18. He says, hey, where is your wife? And, and, and Abraham said she's in the tent. And then God says, you know, I, you know, I'm just going to let you know that I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, your Sarah, Sarah, your wife will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening to this. She heard this and she laughed. She laughed saying, how am I supposed to have a kid? You know, I'm already old. How will this even happen? And then the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too impossible for me? You know, I'm the God that can speak through a burning bush. I'm the God that can show up in a cloud. I'm the God that can, you know, appear unto man in their dreams. There's nothing impossible for me. And so, you know, it actually comes to pass. They end up having Isaac. They end up having a child, even though they're old. They technically shouldn't even be able to have the son, but God gave them a promise, right? And so, um, you know, there's a there's a covenant, there's an agreement that's made between Abraham and God. And God keeps, throughout Genesis in these chapters, he keeps reaffirming what he's going to do. He keeps saying, hey, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make uh, generations out of you as, as many are the stars in the sky and, and sand, you know, uh, as many as there are pieces of sand, these will be the number of your generations. God does the miraculous. Isaac is actually born. Now, listen, they're still wandering. They they don't even know where it is that they're going. And so I want to just encourage you and remind you that 
Um, just because you're wandering doesn't mean that you're not in the plan and the purposes of God. Just because you don't know doesn't mean that it's not a go-go. Do you know what I'm saying? Just because it feels strange doesn't mean that it's not God. I, I, I just want to challenge your thinking a little bit is that actually the, 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 the faith that is required is actually strange. You almost have to be comfortable with the idea of it being strange. Because it's beyond understanding. God moves beyond what we can see. It doesn't make any sense that Peter is walking on the water. Listen, it don't make no sense that Peter is walking on the water, but he starts walking on the water. It doesn't make no sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? But listen, God is able. There's nothing too great for him, right? And so, you know, Abraham is traveling through um, and he, he, you know, he, he's going on his way. And so one of the things that I kind of wanted to highlight here is that uh, God operates and in, 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 it requires us to have faith. It's actually the thing that pleases him. And it's impossible to please him without faith. We need faith in God. We need to believe that he is who he says that he is. Right. And so, you know, God requires this thing or tells this thing to Abraham and Abraham actually obeys it. He does it. Now, mind you, him and Sarah have this conversation and they try to, you know, reason within themselves how they're going to have a child. And so they make a plan within their themselves to figure out a way for them to conceive without Sarah being involved because they didn't think it was possible. And even though they end up having this um, son, Ishmael, it, it's not in the plan, in the accordance of the way that God said it was going to happen because he said it was going to happen through Sarah. Sarah's going to have this baby. Now, listen, is it a miracle when someone who can have a child has a child or is it a miracle when someone who physically cannot have a child has a child? It's a miracle. So God does something miraculous. Now, I want you to understand that as Abraham is journeying and wandering on, he's seeing the miracle of God. He's seeing the hand of God. Um, there's even a moment where he he's journeying um, and uh, there's like an abduction that happens. His nephew gets abducted by like these groups of people. And so Abraham has to go and get his nephew back and, and fight for him, you know, lot and, 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 and bring him back. And, and, and he wins this battle. And so, you know, there's even a verse that says that, hey, like, you know, I am the, that, that God is speaking to, to Abraham and says, hey, I am the God that gives you the victory, that delivers your enemies into your hands. And so, you know, Abraham is seeing these examples of how God's favor is upon him. He's seeing these examples of God doing the miraculous. I don't know about you, but if I was in a relationship with somebody and, you know, or if you're a male, I guess, and you're date and, and you're married to a woman and, and this woman is physically unable to have a child and yet some God says, nah, y'all gonna have a child and then y'all have a child. I don't know about you, but that would probably increase my faith. You know what I mean? That might increase me a little bit to be like, you know what? This don't make no sense, but God said it's gonna happen. So it's gonna happen. So I'm sure along the way, Abraham has seen the faithfulness of God. And so when we get to this place of God continuously reaffirming his promises in Abraham and keeps reminding him in different ways, hey, I'm gonna do what I said that I'm gonna do. I'm going to promise you this land. I'm, and we understand this later to be Canaan. But, 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 you know, I'm also going to give you a generation. I'm also going to give you a son that comes through your seed. God is continuously reminding Abraham of these promises, even though Abraham doesn't understand how it's going to happen or, or what's going to happen. Sarah doesn't understand what's going to happen or what's going to go on here. Right. But God promises him. And so one of the things that I want to kind of tie in here is, 
understanding where does this promise actually come from? You know, where, where does this promise come from? So we understand um, that later the, the manifestation, the fulfillment of this promise is actually Israel. Israel is this promise, is this great nation, is this great nation of people called God's people. And, you know, God uses Israel in a very miraculous way to kind of show who he is and reveal his power and his glory. Israel is also very interesting because Israel actually shows us a lot of our own characteristic tra- traits of how we kind of wrestle with God. And some days we're, you know, wanting to serve, some days we want to serve God, some days we want to serve ourselves, some Sometimes we want to do good. Sometimes we don't want to do good. And, you know, sometimes we're on a 40 year journey that really should only be seven days because, you know, we are stubborn or whatever it is. We're getting in our own way. But anyways, right. I want to get back to the God's prompt to God's promise. Now, we understand Abraham in this point of the story. But if we go back just a little bit before Abraham, there's someone by the name of Noah. Noah is interesting because during the time of Noah, the Bible says that in in people's hearts, there was evil continuously. Now, I don't know about you, but if you pay attention to the news nowadays, it seems like everything is mush up. Everybody hates each other. There's all this type of division. There's all this type of hatred. Nobody cares about anybody anymore. Like it's very cold out here. You know what I'm saying? So imagine that on a hundred or on a thousand or on a million people's hearts were evil continually. And so God in his sovereignty and in his righteousness says that, yo, there's going to be a flood that's going to come and, and encompass the whole earth because it regretted God that he created flesh because of this evil. Now, listen, God uh, finds favor in Noah, right? Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and I'll track a bit more about why, but listen, so God says to Noah, Hey, listen, I want you to build an ark because a flood is coming. Now you have to understand Noah has probably never seen an ark in his life. Noah has never built an ark in his life. Noah has never seen rain the way that God is describing rain to come. And yet God gives him the instructions to build an ark. And I'm telling you, you to build something that you for something you have never seen. I'm sure there are people that were walking past like, well, there goes Noah building an ark. I don't know what he's building it for. This guy's so silly. He's talking about a flood coming and there ain't no rain. Never seen no rain in my life. Yet he still doesn't. It doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? Are you asking me to build something I've never built before that I don't even know? Yes, I'm asking you to do it. Why? Because something is coming. And listen, the times of Noah is no different than the times that we are in. It is no different than the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation uh, indicates to us that there is going to be a season where people are going to continue to do whatever it is that they want to do. They're going to continue to given to their own desires. They're going to continue to make their idols their gods. They're going to continue to turn their face away from God. And there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a time where a spiritual flood will come back on earth because Jesus is coming back again. This is the thing we need to understand is that God is coming back again. And when he comes back, he's not coming as a lamb, but as a lion, he's coming in judgment. He's not coming necessarily in peace but he's coming in judgment. And so when judgment comes, it's going to come like a flood because we don't know the hour. We don't know the day. We don't know when he's coming. We just know that he's coming. So we got to wait patiently. But anyways, so 
Noah builds this ark. The flood actually does come. And and Noah and his family are on this ark. And this ark actually is a representation truly of Jesus Christ. Because if we are in the ark, we're safe. If we're in the ark, we're not in, in harm's way. We're not in danger. And Jesus is actually the representation of this ark. But listen, so he built this ark. The flood is on the earth for, I think it was like 40 days or something like that. And so then the water actually calms down and then God makes a covenant, a promise with Noah and says, never again will the whole earth be encompassed by a flood and I'm going to make a rainbow. And every single time there's a rainbow, I'm actually going to be reminded of my promise to you, right? And so why am I talking about Noah? Because it actually does relate to Abraham. Why is that? Because Noah could have been in this flood, but he wasn't. He was saved. Why was he saved? Why was he saved? What what is the reason, right? And so the Bible does talk about like you know Noah being perfect. Noah Noah uh, being one that is uh, you know seeking God and, and had faith in God. But I want to go a bit further back to the story of the Garden of Eden because God gave a promise. And I want you to understand God keeps his promises. So track with me here for a second. We're at Abraham. We're going a bit before Abraham. We're at Noah. Now we're going to go a bit further. We're going to go to the Garden of Eden. Now in the Garden of Eden, a lot of things happen. But in simplicity's sake, God gave a commandment. He gave a ruling. Man disobeyed that ruling. There was a consequence of that disobedience. But in that consequence, there was a promise. Now, this is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God says, I will put open hostility between you and the woman. So he's talking to the devil. And between your seed offspring and her seed. And it says, you know, he will fatally bruise your head. So the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman of, of Eve, which is humankind of us, right? And in, and you, Satan, shall only bruise his heel. So what it, what is that saying here? So this is a prophecy of what is going to happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, birth of a, of a human woman, is, is going to bruise the head of the serpent. And if you bruise the head of a snake, it dies. So this is what actually happened on the cross. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered the grip and the power of death that the devil wants on each of us. And he did it in his own righteousness. He did it in his own way. So listen, when, when, when you see Genesis and you see the promise of what God is going to do, if God wiped out everybody in the flood, how would this promise come to pass? Maybe there would have been another way or whatever it is. But listen, the promise that was given in the Garden of Eden, God had to continue to uphold that even in the time of Noah. And as he spoke to Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply. And he said unto them that they are blessed and God blessed them and that they have dominion over the sea and the birds and the animal. Um, in the same way, God spoke that same thing over Noah and said, be fruitful and multiply after that flood happened and continue to say that he has dominion over the animals and, and, and over the earth. And in the same promise, God is speaking to Abraham again. It's kind of passing down this original promise of, hey, I'm going to use you in a miraculous way. I'm going to use you in a miraculous way because through the lineage of the people that I am preparing, my son will enter into the earth. And when he comes into the earth, he's going to live 
live a life of sacrifice. He's going to live a life of servitude. He's going to be a, 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 a earthly and a physical representation of who God is. And, and, and what he's going to do, he's going to take on the burden of sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. He's going to put it upon himself because he who knew no sin became sin so that at the cross, the same way that that thief was on the cross with Jesus and said, Jesus, would you you know forgive me of my sin? I want to be in, in heaven with you forever. In that moment, he said, Jesus said to him, today you will be in paradise. Today you will come with me. Why? Because if we humble ourselves, if we pray, if we seek God, if we turn from our wicked ways and listen, it's not about being a better person. It's about acknowledging that you need Jesus. It's about humbling yourself, humbling your logic, humbling your mind and your intellect and saying, God, I don't know anything. I don't even know what tomorrow holds, but God, I want to know you more. God, would you come into my life? God, would you rescue me? God, would you save me from myself and redeem me? Because I acknowledge that you're a promise keeper and I may not understand everything or all that you are, but I believe that you will continue to show me who you are because the Bible says that as Abraham had faith, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Grace is the free gift of God and faith is the thing that is the substitute. It is the substitute for our righteousness that now we can say that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because God requires your faith in him for salvation. That's what God requires. And so, you know, we we see that God is actually upholding his promise in the Garden of Eden and he's doing it through Noah and, and he's also doing it through Abraham and he does it through all of these different people in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus and he's continuing to uphold his promise in me and you. Listen, the promise that God gave Abraham is actually talking also spiritually about a merging of people, Jew and Gentile, under a new faith, a, 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 a new way, sorry, of, of living, of, of a new practice where it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what tribe you are in. It doesn't matter what part of the region you are from, but in Christ, you can be one. You can be one body. You can be one church. We can, we can worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. And that is the beauty and the promise and the manifestation of God. And God is able to uphold its promise. It doesn't matter how much time it takes. It doesn't matter how many things get in the way. It doesn't matter how strange it is for us, but God requires a faith. And so listen, I just want to encourage you. If you are struggling with believing something that you can't see, hey, I get it. We too, we too, all of us too. There is no human being that can say this is easy. There's no human being that can be like, yeah, that's natural. Nah, it is a denying of yourself. It is a letting go of yourself and accepting somebody higher than you and trusting that he has good for you. God wanted to give Abraham a greater thing. But if Abraham couldn't believe God, he couldn't experience that greater thing. God is ready. He's waiting. He wants to do miraculous things. He wants to do greater things. But we need to believe him for it. You know, he, we need to believe that he's able to go beyond what we understand. We need to believe that he's able to come through in a mighty way. Not just in a small way, but in a miraculous way. You know, why can't God do it? God can do it. God can do it. And so my encouragement to you is to just understand that you know, it might feel strange. 
<laughs> you know, faith in God, trust in God, trust in what he's leading you, where he's leading you to go. It might feel strange, but listen, it doesn't mean that it's not him. It doesn't mean that it's not, it's not his voice. And I hope that Abraham's life can be a, a representation and an encouragement for you to know that despite it not making sense, God asks that we not lean on our own understanding, but trust in his word, trust in his name, and we will see him um, perform it. We will see him do it in a miraculous way. Amen.